morning once again, brothers and sisters. Good to be with you to share God's word and good to sing things like Christ is mine forevermore. Isn't that good to sing? And remember, are your hearts encouraged right now this morning? Because that's true. He is yours by faith forever. And now we get to feast on his word and learn from him so that we can live more like him. So to that end, let's pray one more time before we start. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the truths that we've just sung. We thank you for your word. We pray that you would use it right now in all of our hearts. Lord, convict us of sin, correct us of ways that we've strayed, and even wrong thinking. And we pray that you would use your word through the power of your Holy Spirit to change us so that we will look more like your son, Jesus Christ. We ask in his name, amen. The year was 1992. It was the Summer Olympics in Barcelona, Spain. And most of us remember that Olympic year because that's when the dream team went over to Spain and basically dominated the rest of the world, and Olympic Games were never the same since. But there was another Olympic event that was just as, if not more, memorable than even that. A guy by the name of Derek Redman, who was a a British athlete running track, was most remembered for the 400 meter in the semifinals that year. He didn't win the race, but it was memorable for lots of reasons. He came into that Olympic Games riddled with uh, injuries all throughout his career. In fact, in 1988, he was planning to compete but couldn't, had to pull out at the last minute because of injuries that kept happening. And by 1992, he had had five different operations so that he can try to continue to compete in the Olympic Games. So he competed in the quarterfinals, and he did well. He had the fastest time out of anybody. So he went to the semifinals and was poised to do the same and win. And 15 seconds into his race, he tore his hamstring. He knew it instantly. And that discouraged him and hindered him from finishing his race. Throughout the letter of 2 Timothy that we've been studying for the last couple of months, we've been speaking about the fact that the Christian life and the Christian faith is a lot like a race or a marathon that takes endurance. But with that in mind, I'll ask you this morning, how are you doing in your race of faith? Maybe you feel like this morning you're going from victory to victory. You're just striving. Nothing's going to get you down. If so, then praise God. But maybe you might feel like somewhere along the way you've pulled a hamstring. And now you're trying to hobble your way through the rest of it. For some of us who've been enduring seasons of suffering, maybe you're even considering whether or fact you should continue or not. Maybe nobody even knows about that. Maybe you don't know if it's still worth it. But in 2 Timothy, in Paul's message to Timothy here, and especially in our passage this morning, this final message he has to him, the same words he's saying over and over and over again to Timothy and God to us is to finish well, to keep going in the race. Please meet me if you haven't. 
in your Bibles in the letter of 2 Timothy. We'll be in chapter 4 for this morning, finishing up this letter. That's on page 966 of the Black Bibles around you. If you don't have a Bible of your own, we welcome you to take that Bible home with you as a gift from us to you so you can have a copy of God's Word for yourself. Today we're finishing up this letter that Paul has written to his son in the faith, Timothy. And Paul was the former Pharisee turned um, church planter and pastor. He was formerly a persecutor of Christians, and now he's sitting in prison being persecuted for the faith that he once opposed. And for his spread of the gospel, he's suffering. He's encouraging Timothy to, in spite of the suffering that's coming to him and will come to Timothy, to continue to proclaim the gospel. He wants him to do four main things that he talks about all throughout 2 Timothy. To guard the gospel, suffer for the sake of the gospel, continue in the gospel, and proclaim the gospel. If I could share a fifth one, it would be help others to do the exact same thing over and over and over again. And last week, Jonathan Lehman led us through some of the most memorable words of this letter that you have in chapter 4. Preach the word in and out of season. And even towards the end of chapter, our verses from last week, where Paul is saying that, I finished the race, I kept the faith, the faith, and there's a crown of righteousness that's stored up for me. It almost feels like the letter should have ended there. But it doesn't. Because Paul is aiming to finish well, and he's trying to encourage Timothy to do the same, which means he has a little bit more to say. Let me read the passage for us, starting in verse 9, 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is God's word. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. And when you come, bring the cloak that I left with, with Carpus at Troas, and also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. In my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesephorus. Orasid remained at Corinth, and I left Theophilus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. You're taking notes this morning. Here's the, the main idea of our time together in God's Word, and we'll cover that in two points. Here's the main idea. In order to finish the race well, 
We must know what can hinder us and who can help us. In order to finish the race well, we must know what can hinder us and who can help us. So that will be covered in two points. Point one is this. Discouragement can hinder us from finishing well. Discouragement can hinder us from finishing well. And it's clear in this passage that Paul has a lot to be discouraged about, even though he has his crown of righteousness in view. And he's alluded to this all throughout this letter of 2 Timothy. People have left his side, and people have left the faith. He says that all who were in Asia have turned away from me in chapter 1. He names Phygelus and Hermogenes as well in that chapter. In chapter 2, he names Hymenaeus and Philetus. In chapter 3, he's referring to these godless false teachers who are seeking now to deceive others away from the gospel. And now he says, Timothy, please come soon and do your best to get here. And even in verse 21 of our passage in chapter 4, he says, Timothy, please get here before winter. Likely saying that because the winter would have made it hard for Timothy to travel and impossible for him to possibly even get back to Paul. But Paul wants Timothy to be with him to encourage him because, like I just said, lots of people have left Paul's side. Look at verse 10 in our passage, for example. Look at verse 10. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. It also mentions that Cretans had gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. These were other co-workers of Paul who were leaving from Rome to go elsewhere. Now, the text doesn't say that Crescens or Titus did anything wrong in leaving. We can speculate, but I don't think we need to speculate. It just says that they aren't there anymore. But Demas, Paul is very specific. He says, Demas, in love with his present world, has gone to Thessalonica. Now, Demas was mentioned in our scripture reading from this morning from Colossians as a fellow co-worker with Paul. He's also mentioned in Philemon as another fellow co-worker with Paul. Mark is also mentioned. Luke's also mentioned. But now Demas has an asterisk next to his name. He's in love with the world. And the world can be distracting, right? Maybe Demas placed his hope in the world because of the persecution that Christians were facing. Maybe he thought it wasn't worth it to continue to follow Jesus or continue to try to share the gospel with others. Maybe he counted the cost and he thought it was just way too high for him to continue in the faith. I wonder if you feel that way this morning. Or maybe you're just tempted to love the more, the world, more than you should. Not loving people so that they could hear the gospel, but the world might seem so more appealing to you right now. Please remember that the world will pass away and all of its desires. Whatever it is, is not worth it. But it is discouraging, though, to hear and know about people who have turned away from the Lord, and now love the things of this world. 
right? And maybe those people have become distracted, or maybe they've become outright opponents that Paul's talking about all throughout this letter, like Alexander the coppersmith, who he names in verse 14. He said, he did me great harm. Maybe he was slandering Paul. Maybe he was mocking Paul for his faith. Whatever the case was, Paul is telling Timothy to watch out for him yourself when he was once a brother in Christ. Again, maybe you've experienced that too, where brother or sister in Christ, one that you once walked with, you now need to tell others, hey, watch out for them. They might be trying to deceive you. They might be slandering you. Or maybe it's just brothers and sisters in Christ who were once walking with you, and now they've cut you off because of a certain stance you've taken for the sake of the faith. Doesn't that hurt? To experience it by proxy or even personally is painful. But Paul has a lot to be discouraged about. And Paul was also lonely. Brothers and sisters, are you discouraged in any way in the faith this morning? A few years ago, I went to a conference in Louisville, Kentucky, big conference. You might know the name. Afterwards, I met up with a friend I hadn't seen in years and was encouraged to, to share the gospel with him once again and continue to pray for him to this day. But we went to a Mex uh, Mexican restaurant there in Kentucky, very good food, but it was once a church. And this restaurant went all in to the aesthetics of the church in reverse, meaning they were about as irreverent as you could possibly be. Stained glass everywhere, the picturesque building that once possibly preached the gospel that's now a restaurant. It was discouraging being there. Or think about churches that we may have passed on our way here this morning that are either empty physically or basically empty of the gospel. Or think about hearing pastors, the scores of pastors who are leaving the ministry in droves because they're worn out and exhausted or because they disqualify themselves. Or even the documentaries that you can watch and see in detail about scandals that have happened of these big-name churches throughout the years. Or stories of cover-ups. Or again, brothers and sisters who were once co-laborers in the gospel who now want nothing to do with each other. That's all discouraging, right? And what about loneliness? Paul's final words here, he's, he's saying over and over again, Three different times, do your best to come to me soon. Come before winter. Demons have deserted me. All have left me. Come soon. He sounds really lonely. Do you feel lonely this morning? Well, that's good. But it's been said that in our world, in our culture, we are the most connected generation that's ever lived because of our devices, and yet we're the loneliness at the same time, the loneliest. Maybe you feel alone in the faith, in your own home, because you live with 
people who don't have the same faith, or maybe in your family, or maybe in your school, or on the college campus, or maybe you feel lonely even as a member of this church because you just don't quite fit in for some reason. At this point, some of you might be thinking, is this whole sermon going to be this much of a downer? But it's important for us to wrestle with these these topics of discouragement and loneliness because they happen. We live in a fallen world. This is what Paul was experiencing here. And if we're not careful, discouragement can lead us to not finish well, can hinder us. Like in marathons, for example, there's a category of runners who start the race, they trained, they, they, pay, they paid for whatever they needed to pay to participate, they got the jersey, etc., and yet they did not finish the race. They're in their own category, the DNF category. They did not finish. And if we allow ourselves to remain in discouragement for whatever reason, we may be in danger of not finishing the race well. This should give us clarity, though, as we try to encourage others in the faith, maybe those who have strayed away from the faith over the last several years. Maybe their arguments or their deconstructing or whatever that they're trying to say whenever you try to have a conversation with them, maybe there's a lot more underneath the surface. Maybe they are deeply discouraged. And maybe rather than giving them the best answer, you need to give them hope. You need to remind them of the truth. You need to encourage them in the faith that they once believed. And if you are here and you're discouraged this morning, please know and remember that you are in the right place to be. You don't have to hide that when you walk in here. Discouragements and even distractions are part of this life in the fallen world. But thanks be to God that that's not all there is in this fallen world. And Paul's discouragements here, even in this last part of this letter, and his loneliness is woven together with much encouragement and many reminders of the fact that Paul, even though he's discouraged, he has a lot to be encouraged about. Even though he's lonely, he has never walked alone. And the same is true for us. We are in Christ. So here's our second point. We need to know who will help us. And here's the answer to that. Faithful encouragers will help us to finish well. Discouragement can hinder us, but faithful encouragers can help us to finish well. Look at our text in verse 11. After he's talked about Demas, after he's talked about Christians, after he's talked about Titus, he says, Luke alone is with me. Luke was the physician who was with Paul and by his side, likely by his side in nearly every phase of ministry. If you read through the book of Acts, you will, which was written by Luke, you will hear that there are some times in the letters where it will go from first person or just telling the story to we, meaning Luke is saying, I was there too with Paul when he was shipwrecked. I was there too when he was given this account in front of the authorities. I was there too when he was on trial. And even now, Luke is with Paul in his final days. So though Paul was lonely, he was not alone. 
because Luke was right there with him. You're experiencing some loneliness this morning. Don't overlook the people who are quietly, silently, right by your side. Those people are usually quiet. Those people are usually not demanding. Those people are usually not saying that, hey, I need to get credit for being at your side. They're just there. And normally you don't even notice it until they're not there. Don't overlook the people that the Lord has given you right now. Luke was that for Paul. And Timothy, though he was afar away from Paul, was also that for him. Paul trusted Timothy. And that's why he says, get Mark and bring him because he's going to be useful for me for ministry. And Paul, in our text, he even sends someone away, which is strange if you're lonely, right? To Stichicus, I have sent to Ephesus. It's like, I thought you were lonely. Why are you getting rid of people if you want people with you? It's for the sake of the gospel. Paul is facing death, and he is still concerned about the message of the gospel going forward. Paul was discouraged, but that discouragement did not stop him in the ministry of the gospel. Think about it. He asked for Mark because Mark was useful for ministry. He's lonely, but he sent Tychicus to Ephesus for ministry because Mark and Tychicus have proven themselves to be faithful. And he even says to Timothy, when you come, in verse 13, when you come, bring my cloak. Bring my books, bring my parchments. Probably some of Paul's writings or copies of the Old Testament scriptures. But Paul's about to die, and yet he's making plans for ministry. He's making plans to continue in the work of the gospel. And that should instruct all of us, shouldn't it? Because death is going to come to every single one of us. Paul could see that it was coming soon. We may not know when it's coming to us, because we can't always predict it. We're not facing martyrdom, for example, right now. But if we are still here, and we are, that means that the Lord still has work for us to do, for his name, for the spread of the gospel. And part of that means that we press on until he says we're done, until he calls us home. While studying this passage, I was reminded of Rudy Johnson, who I mentioned a few weeks ago, missionary to Peru, mentor in the faith and a hero of mine, who passed away a few years ago. But even as he had to retire from the mission field, his vision got bad, there wasn't a whole lot that he could continue to do. He was still faithful and fervent and making plans. You had a conversation with him. He had a plan for what the next five years could look like in his life. And everybody else is like, you should probably slow down. And he didn't. He ran his waist well all the way until the very end. He didn't take his foot off the gas at all. Maybe you've taken your foot off the gas for one reason or another. Maybe because of discouragement or loneliness. Or maybe you don't feel you're as useful to the Lord anymore. Maybe you feel like your prime is past you. Remember, though, that the Lord sees you. The Lord loves you. 
and the Lord wants to use you. Or maybe you're young and you just think, I'll be usable when I'm 25. Do not wait. The Lord wants to use you right now for the sake of his glory. These brothers and sisters, near and far, were sources of encouragement for Paul, and they helped him to finish well. Look at verse 19. That's where you see a bunch of other names that are mentioned here. There's like 20 different names mentioned in this passage, by the way. He says, greet Prisca and Aquila, who were faithful a couple that were mentioned all throughout Paul's letters, who served at his side. Or Onesephorus, for example, and his household. And they were mentioned in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, after Onesephorus visited him in prison. Erastus was in Corinth, like Paul was in Corinth, that sends greetings to him. Trophimus was ill, so he left them at Miletus. He's still putting people in place, things in place. And then you have Eubulus, Pudens, Lunas, or yeah, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters who are mentioned in verse 21. And these last few names that are, that are mentioned there, there are likely people who visited Paul during this last imprisonment at some point. He says to Timothy, they send you greetings too. So Paul wasn't really alone, was he? Not really. Why would Paul think of naming all these people while he's facing death? I think he didn't want Timothy to worry too much. Because the crown of righteousness is coming. I'm being poured out as a drink offering. He says that in verses 6 through 8. Like, death is coming to me. I'm lonely. But these brothers and sisters send you greetings. He was discouraged, but he was reminded of those faithful encouragers. He was lonely, but he was reminded that he was not really alone the entire time. His brothers and sisters in Christ were with him, but most of all, the Lord was with him. Look at verse 16 of our passage. Paul says, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, he goes on to say in verse 17. That defense, Paul is likely talking about his defense against the authorities, his accuse, him being accused of blasphemy, him being put on trial. He's saying, in my first defense, no one stood with me. But then he says, may it not be charged against them, the people who strayed, who were once at Paul's side, and then out of fear, fled away from Paul. And that sounds kind of familiar because that sounds a lot like Paul's Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, when he was on trial, his faithful followers fled and left him. And the Lord Jesus Christ is referred to all throughout the letter of 2 Timothy. He's the Savior who abolished death and brought life through the gospel in chapter 1. It's the offspring of David, the one who suffered and the reason for Paul's suffering, the one through whom we can attain salvation, the one who remains faithful and cannot deny himself. That's chapter 2. 
The one who knows who are his, which is why we don't need to fear when other people are fleeing away from the faith. The master of the house who should be served honorably. The one who grants repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. The one who equips us through his profitable word. The righteous judge of the living and the dead. The king who brings his people, all of his people, into his heavenly kingdom. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus was abandoned at his defense. His disciples deserted him. He was arrested and he hung on the cross by himself. But what did he say from the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And on the cross, he took the wrath of God that we deserved for our sins. And on the cross, he was forsaken even by his father, left to suffer and die alone. So that you and I, through faith in him, would never, ever walk alone in this life so that you and I will be forgiven and reconciled to God, that we will be brought into his family and we will never, ever be made orphans. Jesus was buried and he was raised from the grave so that all who put their faith in him would have newness of life, would be forgiven of their sins, would never walk alone, and as Paul says here, will one day be ushered into his heavenly kingdom safely. If you're here and you're not a Christian, if you're here and you're discouraged in this life, maybe you've sought after all that there might be to in this life and it still has come up empty. You don't need encouragement. You need a Savior. And Jesus has already come to save you. You can place your faith in him this morning and have newness of life, have forgiveness of your sins and be reconciled to the one who made you and loves you and wants, you to, wants him, wants to use you for his glory. If any of you are here today and you want to put your faith in Christ, there's lots of people around you that would love to talk to you about what that means to put your faith in Jesus. And brothers and sisters, remember that our Lord is faithful. That's what Paul's saying here. We should trust him to judge rightly. That's why Paul could say here in this passage, let it not be counted against them. Or Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him. The Lord is going to be faithful to judge. So we can trust in the Lord to judge rightly. And remember that the Lord is near. He says, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Remember, you and I will never walk alone. And remember that the Lord has rescued us and will rescue us. He will bring us all safely home. And he will not lose any single one of us. Look at verse 17 of our passage. But the Lord stood with me, Paul says, and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Maybe the Lord is wanting to use your trial right now for the same reason as Paul just said, so that you can be strengthened and so that you can continue to spread the gospel to others. 
we should all put on those lenses in our times of suffering and think, Lord, what do you want to use this for in my life? But who do you want to use this for in the life of others? Your trials might not be an obstacle for your faith. They might be an opportunity for you to share your faith with people who are around you. And may we find ways to do that, even as we face right now unemployment, for example, or slander or mistreatment or loneliness or discouragement or diagnosis or being mocked for the faith. We can proclaim the good news and we can say that the Lord has rescued us and he will rescue us regardless of what may come in this life. And Paul says here in these verses 17 and 18, he says that he was rescued from the lion's mouth. This can be referring to Satan, the one who prowls as a roaring lion, as Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5. But the lion was also a nickname for Nero, who was the emperor in which, Rome, which Paul was imprisoned under his rule. He said, I've been rescued from the lion's mouth. Paul also could be referring to something else or someone else in the Old Testament who was also rescued from the lion's mouth. Any kids in the room know who I may be talking about? Daniel, that's right. Daniel in the lion's den. The Lord rescued him. And does any of you remember, any kids and teens, do you remember what the Lord did, how he rescued Daniel? They showed up the next morning, and what did they find? Olivia? His mouth was shut, and Daniel was unharmed. Paul says, that's exactly what the Lord's going to do for me and do for all of his people, regardless of the enemy we will be brought safely into his heavenly kingdom. He says he has rescued me and he will rescue me from every evil deed. And Christian, that's your story as well. The Lord has rescued you from Satan. He has rescued you from sin. He has rescued you from darkness. And he will rescue you from sin, from death, from darkness, from every evil deed in this world and bring you safely home to him. From every single trial, from every shame, we will one day be brought into his heavenly kingdom where nothing evil and no one evil will ever enter it, where nothing can harm us, where nothing can tempt us, where no light is even needed because the land will be all the light that we need. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen? Amen. But let's think, though, because as church history tells us, Paul didn't make it out of prison. He died. In fact, he was likely beheaded just months after these words were written down, likely written down by Luke, his faithful brother. It's likely that Timothy and Paul never saw each other again on this side of heaven. Paul likely never got his cloak back or his parchments or his books. And these greetings that he was sending, they were short, probably shortly thereafter met with announcements of Paul's death and martyrdom. Was this in vain? 
all of Paul's works, all of his efforts, all of his striving, all of his suffering for the sake of the gospel, he died. Was it in vain? And what about us? We'll face death one day. What about all of our striving? What about all of our um, denying of sin and, and picking up our cross? What about sharing the gospel? What about the suffering that we endure? Will that all be in vain? The thing about the race of faith is that the finish line might come sooner than we think. But in the meantime, we should live in obedience to him and continue to run our race well because nothing done for the Lord will ever be in vain. There are a couple points of application try to tie this all together. We want to finish our race well. We know faithful encouragers can help us. We don't want to be hindered by discouragement. What can we do about that? Two quick points. Be a faithful encourager through your prayers and your presence. Be a faithful encourager through your prayers and your presence. If discouragement is something that faces all of us, if we can often be lonely for different reasons, then we should aim to encourage other people because that's probably true of the person sitting next to you. They might be discouraged right now. A member recently asked me something that, uh, a great question that every pastor would love to hear. What can I do to, to be more involved? to be more connected in the church? What can I do to serve the church better? It's a beautiful question. I told him the same thing I'm saying right now. Pray and be present. Pray regularly for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Use your directories, which we have now. Thank you, Abby. But aim to come to church and leave with at least one prayer request. Maybe you don't get to pray with that person during this or after the service is over. But try to press in a little bit beyond just the generalities. And see if you can leave with at least one prayer request. Should be our aim. Or maybe think through based on what we heard from the sermon, thinking of how it can apply to your life, and think of how it might apply to the life of your brother or sister in Christ. So with our prayer, but also our presence, which means we gather we continue to gather. We show up. We gather regularly, as it says in Hebrews chapter 10. But what does he say in that passage? So that we will encourage one another all the more as the day approaches. So continue to show up. Be present. Remain active and engaged. That includes your small groups, too. If you're part of a small group, show up. Encourage. That includes our Sunday school. That includes our prayer meetings that we have. Your presence is an encouragement to someone. Don't let the devil lie to you and say, it doesn't matter if you show up or not. It matters to the Lord and to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you show up discouraged, and if you show up lonely, ask someone to pray for you. Invite them to encourage you as well. Maybe you look around and you think, there's a lot of people in this church that are different from me for one reason or another. They're at a different life stage. They're at a different, they have a different ethnic 
uh, background, different culture, different age. We don't quite click. We don't quite connect. Maybe they're much older than me, much younger than me. Maybe that's why in God's kindness you're here. Maybe the Lord wants to use you exactly for that purpose. My encouragement is to you is to continue to show up, continue to pray, be present, and allow your faithfulness to be a beautiful picture of what the gospel should look like. Secondly, rejoice in the Lord's presence and remind others to do the same. Rejoice in the Lord's presence and remind others to do the same. Verse 22 of our passage says, The Lord be with your spirit, and grace be with you. That would have been the last thing that Timothy would have heard from Paul. But these words weren't about Paul. In fact, they weren't even about the ministry. They, it was both a prayer request and also a reminder to Timothy. A prayer that the Lord would continue to be with you and grace would be with you, but also a reminder of the fact that since you are in Christ, the Lord will continue to be with you and his grace and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And as we aim to encourage one another, we can encourage each other with those same very truths, that God is still here, he's still with us, that his grace is enough for us, and that he will keep his word and his promises. Just recently, I dealt with a bout of discouragement. And in my time in God's word, I happened to be in John chapter 14, where Jesus says these amazing things like, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If that wasn't the case, I wouldn't have told you. But I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if I'm going away to prepare a place for you, I will come back for you. That where I am, you may be also. And then he says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Christian, you are not alone. And I needed that reminder. We all need that reminder. And during that time, I reached out to other brothers in Christ to say, hey, I, I need some encouragement. And they encouraged me. And they didn't share anything revolutionary with me. They shared the same old truths that you hear every single Lord's Day. The Lord is faithful. That he's good. That he loves you. That he's with you. He's for you. He will keep you until the very end. These cannot be cliches for us. This is our hope. This is our lifeline. It's what we need to hold on to and be reminded that the Lord is true to his word. He will keep us and he will keep every single promise that he has. And again, if you're feeling lonely or discouraged, there might be validity to how you're feeling, but the Lord's truth is greater than your feelings right now. He's gone before us. He's with us and will be with us forevermore. And he will help us to cross that finish line. It's like Derek Redman we talked about at the beginning, who tore his hamstring 15 seconds into that race. But he wanted to keep going, so he got up, began to hobble towards the finish line. Other attendants tried to help him. He didn't want their help. He brushed them off. But then he eventually heard a familiar voice because his father came down from the stands. He heard his voice. He fell into his arms and wept. 
His father picked him up, put his arm around him, and together they walked towards the finish line. And right before he got to the finish line, Derek's father stepped aside so that he could hobble across the line on his own. Isn't that a picture of what the Lord does for us? That he will usher us into his heavenly kingdom and we will get there safely and we will give him all the glory. So press on through your tears, through your suffering, through your pain. Remember that he's still with you. He will hold you up and he will guarantee that you finish well. Let's pray. Lord, increase our faith today. We ask that you would help us, that you would keep us, and help us to finish well. To honor you with our words, with our lives. To trust that you will usher us into your heavenly kingdom and that we would give you all the glory forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen.